Welcome to Orion Valley. Hello, film lovers. I am Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect movies with fellow film lovers and discuss why we love film as much as we do. Lexi Cutmore has returned to the show to do the time warp again. So get your newspapers and other props ready as we discuss the cult classic that started it all, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Lexi Cutmore is joining me on this episode. Tell me why you chose this movie and what it like what it means to you um i kind of have like a a weird association with this movie actually because my mother told me like vehemently please don't watch this it's so (laughs) weird and i think that kind of drove me to watch it and it's just so awkwardly compelling as a cult movie it makes almost no sense the first time you watch it which it just drove me to keep watching it, and then I couldn't help myself but recommend it to like literally everyone I know. So I mean, here we are. Yeah, exactly. I I watched it the first time I watched it. I was at I was a junior in high school, and I remember my friend had like a big movie day, and my best friend brought this, and he's like, "We're gonna watch it" because he was on like a kick of it. Right. And so I remember we watched almost all of it. I don't I don't think we ever finished it, but we watched like a lot of it, and everyone was just like, "This is so weird." But everyone was really captivated in it. Like, everyone was watching it at this party. And I watched it at a Halloween party for work. I watched it, um, like, another time on my own. And then I just watched it at, while I was at school. We had a big movie night. And we're like, we're going to watch the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Because they were <laughs> doing it at my at Ithaca. Like, a group of students were, like, yeah. putting, like, a theatrical production of it on. So, I was like, yeah, we got to watch it. And I, I got to say... Really, really great rewatch value, mm-hmm. this movie. And I don't, I feel like it's kind of put off. It's kind of garnered this reputation a little bit for just being, it's weird, it's bad, it's right. just like you don't need to see it. But mm-hmm. I mean, this movie means something to a lot of people you wouldn't really expect. I mean, I think even if you don't understand it the first time, and I want to say that most people don't, mm-hmm. um, it's ridiculously catchy. Uh huh. Like throughout the entire thing, there's always something happening that either you don't expect or you can't get out of your head once you're done watching it, where it's just a different experience every time. And I mean, I've seen this movie, I'm I'm almost ashamed to say it, but like over 30 times (laughs) in a way. Um, And I just keep realizing more and more about it and what makes it so transcendent Mm -hmm. as a film. I don't know if you know this, but next year is going to be the 45th anniversary of yeah. Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, most movies don't live on for that long in the same way. Uh-huh. And you just kind of have to take the time to sort of sit down and analyze it for what it is. And I think it will make more sense because, yeah. you know, looking at the film and seeing that back in, you know, 1975 when it first came out, People were going to the movies, dressing up as Frankenfurter and singing along with the film. And they're still doing that now. They're still bringing it back as the anniversaries come. And you just, I I just think that's what makes it work is that people, uh, there's this cult following about it where people are saying, okay, this works. And you just have to think about like why. Yeah. 
I mean, what I would just want to know, like, what for you, sorry, <laughs> what for you makes it work? Um, that's a really good question. Um, well, I mean, I'm a big fan of musicals. Um, I always have been. And I always say that I think this is one of the better movie musicals, like movie adaptations of a musical, because um, I just think, like, it works better as a movie. And I've seen a stage production of it. Like, they did the live version. on. They did one on BBC my senior year, and the year after that they did mm-hmm. an really really bad one on NBC uh, or on Fox and there's just something about like how the editing and the very interesting stylistic choices right. um work as a on on film better than mm-hmm. they do on stage in the real moment cuz i mean this movie's largely based on you know um science fiction B movies mm-hmm. of the 50s and the 60s and if that's the like that's the case, it works better because like you have the structural mm-hmm. um, and technical similarities to those films in this film, and it's damn fun, and you have great like crazy performances, and this is the biggest thing for me is just how self aware it is. Right. I mean, because I have a, I have a coworker, um, it's one I worked with when I worked at the local restaurant. It was her favorite movie, mm-hmm. and she always said, "You got to watch it. It's." awful but you have to watch it and i don't necessarily think that that's true because i think that a lot of people don't understand the fact that every choice made in this movie Mm -hmm. is very deliberate now it may not necessarily mean something in the greater Mm -hmm. scheme of things but it adds to the experience it was all very well thought Mm -hmm. out and it's just so much fun (laughs) like the music's great it's um it's just so crazy. You literally don't know what's going to happen next. Right. You don't even know what's going on half the time as you're watching it. But that kind of adds to it. You're kind of trying to put it together in your head. And I think that kind of overall mystery and originality is mm-hmm. what really makes it work. Um, and it's still like, like I said, I've seen it like six times. Mm-hmm. Personally, I mean, obviously you've seen it more, but like it still works. And I'm sure right. like this most recent time that I watched it, there were so many things that I didn't realize mm-hmm. were in there the first four times that I had watched it, like setups that they do in the beginning in the mm-hmm. church scene that come back a little bit later or even on the drive. or And I even looked up all the stuff that they do at midnight screenings, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about in a bit. Um, have you ever been to a midnight screening of this? I haven't. I know that, I want to say, well, yeah, it's got to be about five years ago because it was for the um, 40th, 40th anniversary. Somewhere in Binghamton they were doing a screening and I know a lot of people I knew were going but I couldn't at the time but I mean I definitely would in the future uh-huh. I mean they're put on like everywhere I mean mm-hmm. like a local theater here does it I'm pretty sure like every year um, it's a big event like right. it's um, it's almost like a staple of some people's Halloween um, before we get to that though I just want to say uh, let's go back to 1975 when this mm-hmm. movie comes out here are some movies that came out during 1975 this is like ginormous list um we have the first blockbuster we have jaws um rocky Horror picture show one floor of the cuckoo's nest dog day afternoon barry linden rollerball and monty python and the holy grail Mm -hmm. crazy year for movies and like nashville um and uh death race 2000 why do you think that this movie like initially didn't really get the recognition because I love the story of when like Meatloaf and Richard O'Brien went mm-hmm. to a screening and no one was there except right. them. Do you think it was like part of it had to do with other movies that were coming out th- that year and that this one was so different? Like, why do you think this doesn't 
this didn't initially like resonate with people. So, I mean, in order to answer this question, we have to think about it like historically, uh-huh. um, because this movie was released as a day screening, mm-hmm. and at the time, I like wrote this down because. Like two years prior to the release of this movie, the American Psychiatric Association had just recently voted to remove homosexuality from the list of, you know, um, psychiatric disorders. Mm -hmm. So people still have this stigma about homosexuality and basically anything associated with the LGBTQ community. And at that time, for a lot of people who did identify in that community, they had to wait until nighttime, you know, to have their like second lives in a way. Mm-hmm. And I just think that they needed to move the film to a night screening in order to make it work, which they did. And that's why mm-hmm. it just they weren't hitting the right audience initially. Mm-hmm. That's pretty interesting. Um, I didn't realize it was like that had just happened. But yeah, mm-hmm. they could, and it. At this point, you know, it's the baby boomer generation, right. not very open to many new um, or, you know, not like, like to change or new ideas. They're kind of very much like a closed off like group mm-hmm. of people at this particular point in time. And something like this, you know, might, you know, kind of just be like, oh, absolutely not. It's condemned, you know, just mm-hmm. like absolutely no. And like turn so many people away. And we look at all these other movies like like i said like jaws or um holy grail or anything like that they're all fairly like they may be something that not everyone enjoys mm-hmm. but they're like something everyone could watch like especially being like barry linden is a g-rated movie right. um jaws is you know they wanted families to go see mm-hmm. that this is a very niche movie it's very specific um and you know, like we said, a lot of the things just might be seen as weird and people could just turn it off and just shun it away. Um, but I think that, like, so we'll talk about, like, midnight movies. Mm-hmm. I've personally seen, the only midnight movie I've seen, I, got, I went to go see a midnight screening of Eraserhead. And there's, in New York City, there's an energy to mm-hmm. seeing any movie that late at night. Because right. very specific people go, either it's like an anticipation for a movie or just there's nothing to do that late at mm-hmm. night, so they're just going to go. And but this one kind of took over the market for midnight movies in that it became really like an event. Mm-hmm. Like it was more than just we're just going to go see a movie this late. Like this literally like there are productions put on mm-hmm. like people will act it out in front of the movie. I mean, that has to be like kind of a testament to the spirit of the movie. Right. And I, you know, I'm just going to pretty much end up circling back to this one thing where you just have to think about the time. I mean, mm-hmm. this movie was way ahead of its oh, yeah. time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back in the 70s, people weren't able to live their truth. So, right. you know, being able to live vicariously through Frankenfurter and be able to act however they want and be however they want, like this movie gave that that, that opportunity. Uh-huh. Definitely, uh, I mean, Tim Curry's performance as Frankenfurter is just mm-hmm. legendary. And we'll talk about him uh, in just a minute, um, I want to get in to uh, to some of the facts about the movie. It was originally a uh, stage musical that um, Richard O'Brien uh, wrote on kind of a bender when he was unemployed in London. He just did it to kind of keep himself occupied. And I remember, you know, did uh, was reading about it. they did like a few productions of it, then it made its way to Broadway. Mm-hmm. And do you know how many production, how many uh, actual performances they put on on Broadway? I don't. It was something like, 
I think it was like 60 something, 50 something. Over two years, I believe, well, I mean, right? They, well, if they do, they did so many different productions of it in, in London and they did like some stuff off Broadway, but actually mm-hmm. on Broadway it was 60 performances, which is just about shy of like two or three months, which okay. is a very, very short run. I just, um, I know it was released in 73 for mm-hmm. Broadway and then it didn't make film until 75. Yeah, they, uh, it just was not, it wasn't a hit on mm-hmm. on stage, nor and but like it, a lot of the stuff that they took from the stage musical, they put into the movie. Like it's a pretty good um, adaptation mm-hmm. of it. I mean, obviously it's the same group of people behind it writing. A lot of the performers um, from the production, from the theatrical productions, made mm-hmm. it into the actual movie. And I think that's one thing about this movie that really, really works is that the cast is just really, really on point. Right. Um, and even like big names like Barry Boswick, who was mm-hmm. the original Danny in Greece, and Susan Sarandon, who was a huge actress, mm-hmm. um, they were just put into these roles that are so stereotypical, right. but they play so well. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone just plays off of each other. So because everyone's giving, you know, 200%, everyone mm-hmm. is so just over the top, but not in an over the top way that it's like negative, like in a way that, again, adds to the movie that it's mm-hmm. it makes it fun and i just think everyone in this everyone in this movie gives their absolute a game i agree and i think it's funny that this movie receives such high praise considering like the amount of time that they actually took to make the film yeah you know because we're so used to movies being in production for years now yeah. they did it in six weeks yeah <laughs> i mean it's just it's this crazy thing where like i can only imagine how hectic it actually was to just boom 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 knock out this movie and then i don't know what they were expecting to get out of it but i can't imagine it is what it became i don't know i think i feel like it's one of those things where maybe a lot of the actors or you know crew people were like we're not really sure what we're doing but Mm -hmm. it's you know it's going to be something and it it really was um and uh, one thing i was going to say a little bit earlier is that um we kind of see this trend today of people shutting a movie out because of either it being you know different or weird than what they Mm -hmm. were accustomed to um even now in that it takes a while sometimes for us to really appreciate a movie to like we're so quick with our judgments and we want we see something okay we you know we review it or um we have our immediate thoughts and that's it it's like either this is bad or this is great and we don't really you know we need to sit on it i feel like if we sat on it a little bit and really thought about it and process it that and then our true reaction would kind of come out of it we were so fast to just like we're, we rushed to judgment you know just so quickly and i think that this is like one one thing about this movie that you kind of have to go in with not only an open mind, but just let it just let it simmer right. for a bit and come back to it. Because I think this this movie is kind of in that way very much like a drug. You first take it and you're just like, this is, what is happening? Right. But you find yourself just keep coming mm-hmm. back to it. I mean, did you like this movie instantly? Um, I don't want to say I liked the movie instantly. I instantly fell in love with Tim Curry's rendition of Frankenfurter. That's mm-hmm. where I got hooked is because... The man has a beautiful voice. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, and I just wanted to keep hearing more of it. Yeah. And it eventually just led to me saying, whatever, I'll buy the movie. And mm-hmm. then that's when I started actually following it as a whole and starting to like the movie as a unit rather than just being like, oh, I like this for Tim Curry. Now uh-huh. it's like, oh, I like the entire film. Yeah. And I mean, the song like 
Time Warp has become like legendary. It's on everyone's Halloween playlist. I mean, everyone knows that song. And maybe someone's just watching it for that part because they know it. Like, mm-hmm. everyone, who doesn't know that? Um, but even, like, like I said, the most recent times I've watched this, there's so many things in there that, like, set up for something else or that there's a lot of very interesting jokes that are put mm-hmm. in there and like the characterization if you're really watching is actually really funny this movie's mm-hmm. really funny like yeah. it's hilarious like i couldn't believe like how many like of the comedic things i didn't fully grasp mm-hmm. for the first few times of watching i guess this time i was just paying more attention right. as other times i was with a group of people like the last time i watched it before um for this podcast i was at ithaca and my friend brian shout out to brian uh who just knows every line of dialogue of the movie was acting it out was like like run like doing the whole sweet transvestite dance was doing everything and that was another like additive of it but i didn't really think about what else was happening because i mean it that's another thing it's like it's like a spectacle movie you know right. and in that um it just sucks you in and you're just like so intrigued and another thing is like if you're showing it to people who haven't seen it before you're just mm-hmm. waiting to see what their reaction is because right. we would do that there were like three other people who had never seen it before and they were just like kind of flabbergasted <laughs> and that kind of adds to the fun you know? yeah <laughs> i think all right i think we should just get into it because there's a lot to talk about okay. um with you know, just everything mm-hmm. <laughs> um i gotta say this oh, the opening of this movie is iconic just put it right out there the fact that the you know the big red mm-hmm. lips come on sing science fiction double feature and it's Richard O'Brien's voice um, with uh, someone else's lips. That's a very interesting opening. I didn't realize that was his voice I until didn't the last e- time I watched mean this. Me either. Yeah. I thought for sure it was Patricia Patricia Quinn's voice because those are her lips uh-huh. and he has a very high pitched voice. Uh-huh. So it was just weird to me. Yeah. And this is, I don't, there's something about this opening. It's re, it's a really long opening because they do the whole mm-hmm. song. And they originally had this idea to do like interspliced cuts of black and white footage of other various science fiction B movies that the movie is based upon. But they ended up scrapping that because they didn't think it would really work. And I'm kind of glad that they did. But I don't know what it is about this opening. I think it's a good thing to just be like, here's a little taste of what mm-hmm. you're getting yourself into because I mean, what other movies can you say have a giant pair of lips just come in just to sing a whole song? Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't really happen in any other movie. Like it's very specific for this movie. It's funny because the lips are like one of the most iconic parts of the movie. It's on the poster. It's on yes. the DVD box. It's on everything. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows that. And the song is ridiculously clever. I mean, it is, you know, dated for me personally. I know you as well. Mm-hmm. It's, but there are a lot of references that were extremely timely and the way that they managed to work it in in the way that they did is mm-hmm. just insane to me. And I think that kind of works because, like, I mean, the people who that went to this movie back in those times, like, grew up with those science fiction right. movies and, like, could understand that and be, like, it's still fresh in their minds. Because that was, like, a big era for movies in the 50s and the 60s. Mm-hmm. This this craze of just pumping out random movies about, like, aliens and science fiction and just, like, and obviously this movie has elements of all of that, mm-hmm. which we'll get into. Um and, you know, there's references to, like, Steve Reeves movies. They make, like, mm-hmm. six different references to him. And then just immediately get into, uh, I don't know. Where do you want to start with this movie? There's with, just so... with the church scene. The I love the church scene. It's... I have a love-hate relationship with the church scene. I like the scene. I don't like Damn It, Janet. I, I don't like that song. Damn It, Janet 
as a song is very important to the film. Right. But as an actual song, I just don't like I it. Don't I like can't it. get on board with the pace of it, with the way it's like any yeah. any aspect of it, I'm just not here for it. Me neither. And like as as good as both Susan Sarandon and Barry Botswick are, they have really good voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just the structure of the song. It almost seems like a song that was like they wrote every other song and they were like, mm-hmm. okay, we need to get we need to get them to you know, where they're on the road to the castle at some point, and that was the song that they landed on. And I mean, it moves, like the camera works mm-hmm. good, but I mean, the real important thing about that scene is like, it's the wedding of Barry, of, uh, Barry Boswitz, whose name is Brad Majors, mm-hmm. and his wife, Janet Weiss, um, are also, <laughs> they all have like little sub titles, and, but I love that like, you know, everyone notices like the when they're out taking the photo mm-hmm. in the background, the priest is Tim Curry. Um, yes. The and then there's like the uh, Richard O'Brien, Richard O'Brien and, and Patricia Quinn are the um, that farming couple. Yeah, the American Gothic mm-hmm. uh, painting, right. like so <laughs> so random, and you mm-hmm. have to pay attention to see it. And but like right. so like just they're watching over mm-hmm. everything. Like it's and I feel like it's kind of that thing where they're kind of since they're like aliens, which they reveal mm-hmm. later, they're kind of growing accustomed to American life in some way. Uh and then on the one thing I really picked up on this time watching it is on the side of the limo when uh the, the married couple goes away, it says like she got hers and tonight he's gonna get his yeah or something right. like that. Great foreshadowing because mm-hmm. I because like, that's literally like a blink and you'll miss it like kind yeah. of moment. Um, but I mean, I just, I don't want to think of this as like an afterthought because it is very important to the rest of the movie. It sets up the wrong tone in a way um, because there is this idea of like innocence and ignorance on their part as like young kids. And, you know, it sort of just um, this way of dec- discrediting like an idea of promiscuity saying don't do that don't explore sexuality in any way you need to have like a wedded marriage in order to experience any of these any of these things and that's most certainly not what they're headed for Uh yeah like literally polar opposites and i think it's good that they set them up as like a young couple right you know because yeah they're very naive they're like brad majors is an idiot like he's very stupid and I think, I mean, that adds to the comedy, like, later when they first get to the house. But, yeah, I mean, they're, like, the people, I mean, there's, like, an analysis of this movie that it's, like, all about, you know, like, a, like two American people discovering their actual sexuality mm-hmm. and, like, exploring, um, like, their homosexuality or bisexuality. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they set them up as these, like, little picture-perfect couple... Right. You know, I mean, he has like, you know, the wide brim glasses mm-hmm. and she has this like kind of shrivelly like, you know, voice like Brad. And mm-hmm. it like, it, yeah, I mean, that's a really good point that it, you kind of think of these people as just like, like you're, you're watching it now. It's like, it's like my grandparents when mm-hmm. they were like that age, like they didn't know any better. They didn't know like what the, what they were doing. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, it just sets them up on this very like weird adventure. They're um, very like prim and proper oh, yeah. kids. Yeah. And I think that was sort of a nod to the way that we were shifting socially at the time of sort of getting rid of this, you know, 50s idea of like women being, you know, stuck in this little bubble where they were supposed to conform to their man and like men being, you know, the most masculine 
um, you know, person possible. Uh And now we're seeing these two seemingly perfect human beings in a completely different light. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, they go through, you know, a pretty fair amount of change Mm -hmm. throughout the movie, which you wouldn't really expect. Um, But we'll get to that. Which all occurs in one night. Yeah, that's the best (laughs) thing that I really love about this movie. It's literally all in, not even, like, literally, like, a five-hour period. Mm -hmm. Although the timeline does kind of get thrown out the window and that, like, it's, like, it's a lot of things happen very fast. But, like, yeah, it's all basically in one night. Um, And when they're driving down the road and the the motor there's like a motorcycle guy that drives past them and i like yes. when it's like late at night i was always like oh do you think that's eddie probably isn't but i always thought cool. it'd be kind of cool if it was um you can um you can hear nixon's resignation yeah that's in right the they're listening to that <laughs> but it's like of course you know what they're mm-hmm. not gonna be listening to music or anything yeah. like that um and i i want to read some of the midnight screening traditions that they do um so while at midnight showings there's a lot of like props and Mm -hmm. and um and traditions that they do so at ralph and betty's wedding they throw rice um during the rain sequence they shoot water um, pistols newspapers for the front and the middle row so they put them on their heads in the back row Mm -hmm. squirts them um flashlights and cigarettes for there's a light uh, rubber gloves for when Frankenfurter just snaps on right. these gloves. Noisemakers for the Transylvania party for their applaud. Toilet paper, a preferred Scott's brand when Brad yells, Great Scott, which is just a great moment. <laughs> Confetti for at the end. Toast for when Frank Frankenfurter proposes a toast at dinner. They usually say they prefer it to be buttered, but a lot of places discourage that because it can be quite a mess. Party hats for when Frankenfurter puts on his hat to wish Rocky a happy birthday. Mm-hmm. So does the audience. Bell, when we made it, did you hear a bell ring? I guess they all just ring bells. Mm-hmm. Um, cards for sorrow, cards for pain. They all throw cards. And um, but like I said, there's some discrepancy because you know they don't allow like open lighters in movie theaters right. anymore. So, um, but I think the newspaper one is the is the very popular one. Everyone just brings that. Let's talk about that scene for a second because that scene's really interesting. And in that they show up, their their car like they get a flat tire, the car mm-hmm. breaks down, so they are. Um, so they make their way through the rain to find the house and they're singing, there's a light. This like yep. really long, very um, kind of on the nose mm-hmm. song about like everything's going to be okay. They found their like, um, they found their sanctuary and there's a great quote that I found from, uh, <laughs> uh, from uh, on Wikipedia that said, um, Louis um, Fressy Jr., a normally quiet teacher who upon seeing the character Janet place a newspaper over her head to protect herself from rain, yelled in the movie theater, buy an umbrella, you cheap bitch. <laughs> Which, I know, it's ridiculous. But like, she's, I always think it's just fascinating how like that newspaper is like just still. Well, it's just, pouring. Yeah, it is like sheets upon sheets yes. of huge drops of rain and just like this small little newspaper that looks just like, like a book. It doesn't yeah. even look like a newspaper. It's just like, and she's just there and you see, you know, riffraff in mm-hmm. the, in the top and this house is fucking cool. Like yes. it, it reminds me of like the mansion in Clue. Like Clue mm-hmm. the movie, it's like the exact same one. Um, and one thing I noted about this scene that I thought was kind of interesting is the 
I don't know if this is really an inconsistency, but I just thought it was kind of funny how they sing this really long song. You know, there's a light. It's going to be okay. Then they get to the mm-hmm. front of the door and then Janet's like, Brad, I'm scared. We should go away. It's like, what did we just spend the last four minutes doing? Like, <laughs> come on, Janet. <laughs> There's a good majority of that film where Brand- <laughs> Janet's like, we should leave. Yeah. We should just go. Yeah. And Brad's like, we shouldn't be rude. We need to stay. <laughs> <laughs> All about the formalities and which we get into meeting Riff Raff and mm-hmm. uh, Magenta. Uh, and then they sing Time Warp, which... Which, before we get into that yeah. really quick, you know Skeleton that's in there? That's real. That's a real skeleton? Yes. I know that there's some guy who worked on this movie that like, and this is a good lesson for any um, person pursuing a a career in filmmaking. If you want to take like a a salary or a certain amount of money for a movie, don't. If they offer you points for a movie, that is always going to be way more beneficial. And several examples, including like Todd Phillips didn't take a salary for The Hangover and he made $60 million on points. Same with Tom Hanks in Forrest Gump. And someone, I don't remember who, I want to say it was Jim Sharman, the director, um, took points for this movie and made so much money. And he has that clock that that big alarm clock mm-hmm. like right when you walk into the door of his cliffside Malibu house that looks like Tony Stark's house in Iron Man mm-hmm. in 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 California and like right when you walk in apparently he has that that clock right at home but that's a real skeleton yeah oh, that's I, crazy um I think <laughs> one of the former owners mm-hmm. of that mansion it's like the the actual mansion is <laughs> that person's skeleton I don't remember her name but it's real <laughs> that's oh man that's a little it's that's very unnerving. Back. Um, so we got to talk about the time warp scene. Everyone knows it. Um, I think what's really great about it, and I mean, I, it's funny that like everyone knows the song. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows the song. Everyone knows the dance. Everyone's seen the scene. Everyone knows that, and yet they don't go continue to like see the movie. Like right. Like after that, it's like how could that in and of itself just not make you curious? There's a lot of things that happen in that yes. scene. You know, you know, riff rat. Like even just if you just see that scene, it's like mm-hmm. who the fuck is this guy with his hump? And then this girl's <laughs> going crazy on the stairs and just like I love that Brad says like, oh, it's a hunting cr- club for rich weirdos. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, um, we're missing a very important piece of this, mm. and it's the criminologist. Oh that's yeah, just the most absurd thing throughout yeah. the entire movie. Although I. love love him because he's so funny and ridiculous Mm -hmm. like you could totally picture an actual movie with that kind of narrator like it zooms out and he's just in a random study I mean Mm -hmm. there's theories that they say he's in the house like as it's happening uh but (laughs) there's not really a whole lot of validity to that but like um yeah he's just like explaining everything in the most studious pretentious Mm -hmm. way possible and this is what I was saying that like I love that this is a film this works better as a movie Mm -hmm. because um, (laughs) when they start to do they're like let's do the time warp again and then it cuts quiet for a second and he just pulls down a chart (laughs) like that doesn't work on stage (laughs) that works solely in a movie because everything cuts out Mm -hmm. just cut silence pulls it down as if he's teaching a fucking, you know, class or yeah. something like that. And the next thing you know, it's cutting to him doing the time warp on his desk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And having like very minimal fun mm-hmm. with it. Like just... <laughs> it's like smoking a cigar the whole yeah. time too. Yeah. And then this is like also the first introduction of the whole um, story about Eddie when uh, mm-hmm. little Nell starts singing uh, Columbia, who's personally hot take my personal favorite character in this movie purely just because I think she's crazy and I love her voice. I just mm-hmm. think she's so great. She's given so much in this movie. Uh, 
and yeah she does this really cool like tap dance thing that's like mm-hmm. it's kind of clear that it's like audio dubbed over the clacking sounds i think right um i think she actually tap danced though i like that the red carpet disappears too if you notice in that yes. scene it like just it's gone mm-hmm. and then it comes back and i think she actually tapped but the sound just is a little weird like it doesn't seem right. like it fully matches up to it but she may have actually tapped dance album but and my favorite part of this scene after everyone does it falls falls down it's quiet Brad just goes hey any of you guys know how to madison <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> just like what the fuck dude <laughs> Like, really? That's your concern? Like, and just like the two of them backing up the stairs mm-hmm. in unison, and Janet being like, Brad, let's get out of here. Uh-huh. I'm cold and wet. It's like, ah, oh, it's fine. You know, we don't want to ruin their celebration or whatever, which is like leads us to the greatest, one of the greatest mm-hmm. character introductions to anyone in a movie when Frankenfurter comes down. Mm-hmm. He's in his cloak, and you see the the boots stomping. Yes. And, and then Janet faints for like one of the many, many times she that she will faint. A lot in this movie. <laughs> uh, and I guess now we can like start talking about the conversation of Tim Curry mm-hmm. because he is an absolute revelation in this movie. He's wonderful. Uh, he's, I mean, he's great in everything he does. He gives just mm-hmm. so much charisma and a great performer just owns every scene right. he's in, and especially this because he's given so much like free reign mm-hmm. and figured out so much about the character and he like he is definitely he has to be at least in this movie like an inspiration for so many people not just performers but people in the LGBTQ community because of how just comfortable he was in mm-hmm. his own skin and how confident like he's so you know, he's got this like Freddie Mer- Mercury like strut right. and this like pompous attitude but you're so drawn to him as every scene and he's just got this rock star mm-hmm. lower baritone kind of voice and just he's very like ominous in the uh-huh. way that they first introduce him to, which I think is really compelling because like you said, it's where they are is very dark and he's got the cloak on and he's in full makeup and I mean, he's fully covered. You don't know what is yeah. coming. And then he starts like prancing basically down that red carpet and then just rips off the cloak and it's like, so this is what I came here for. I get chills every time I watch it because it's just, it's such a good switch and in, mm-hmm. mus- in the music too because it's like, it's just like the guitar and the drums at one point and then the keyboards and the horns come in mm-hmm. after he rips it off and it's just like, oh, and now you're in and it's like, right. now you know what we're doing mm-hmm. and it's, and we really don't, but like now it's like, okay, <laughs> Here's what we've been trying to get to is this whole mm-hmm. section here. And oh man, I like this is like m- my favorite scene in the Me movie cuz like I can just watch it over mm-hmm. and over again and I get so pumped up. It's like it just ex- he exerts mm-hmm. energy. There's also a lot of really good fourth wall breaking in this movie right. that I didn't notice for a while because I mean, you know, he throws the, the, water. the water on the camera. Mm-hmm. He looks at the camera a lot. And again, deliberate choices because it's not like they're trying to make something that follows the rules right. of anything. You know, they're paying, you know, homage to a lot of these old cheesy movies and just to be like, hey, we acknowledge that you're here mm-hmm. and you're going to watch this. Yeah. And it's just, it makes it more of an intimate relationship between um, the performers and the audience. Right. This was actually, um, when I mentioned that I had just seen Tim Curry, this was the first soul scene, standalone thing that I had seen mm-hmm. that made me fall in love with this movie. And it's so clever. Uh-huh. I mean, 
My favorite part of this scene is when Brad's like, I'm glad we caught you at home. Can I use your phone? And I didn't catch on to it at first, but when Frankenfurter says, well, you got caught with a flat, well, how about that? And then looks at the camera, it implies that he did it. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's so true. I never, yeah, I never thought about that. Mm. It's insanely clever. It's just, you don't think about it unless you've seen it X amount of times, you know, and you're like, did you do that? What do you mean? Well, how about that? I feel like there could be, uh, that would, that is something that could be picked up more now because we're so Mm -hmm. used to a lot of fourth ball breaking like that. Like, I mean, I'm just watching now the show Fleabag on Amazon Prime and they do that a lot, like a lot Mm -hmm. of side to the camera, quick little things like that. Though I feel like that could be picked up now, but like, wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. I guess that makes sense though, because I mean, he does draw them in continuously Mm -hmm. throughout the entire movie. Um, but man, he's just like, and I even love his exit when he's like, and not the symptom. And then just like yes. fully goes up when the music's playing. It's just like, oh man. And how could you not be in after that? Like, it's right. just like, I just want to know what's going to happen next. And Brad's still not faced at all. They mm-hmm. start taking his clothes off. Right. And just like, but I mean, you can tell that even as the characters, Brad and Janet are sucked into who he is because when he gets in the elevator and he's like, I see you shiver with anticipation patient but like when he's doing that they're leaning in like what are you gonna say yeah uh-huh. such a very very inviting character mm-hmm. but like so mad and crazy all right we're gonna take a quick break in the conversation to talk about dingles and donuts orion valley productions very own real play D podcast casey clark's original miniseries ravnica avengers has finally arrived the first two episodes are available for all ears now with a new episode out every thursday Familiar Dingles cast members such as Sullivan Harris, Chris Rowe, and of course Casey Clark are joined by new friends Ben Mannix, Lana Pratt, and Joanna Lagerfo on this wholly original journey that you don't want to miss. So please go check out the first two episodes of Ravnica Avengers with new episodes out every Thursday. All right, back to Rocky Horror. Try. Can you ex- dis- um, explain what exactly it is that Frankenfurter is doing in his lab? explain it well um he kind of says it in the song sweet transvestite he Mm. says i've been making a man with blonde hair and a tan he's making a companion so Uh that's essentially what it is he's figured out the key to life yeah he says (laughs) (laughs) and i love the whole um so the main i also want to talk about like the other characters in this movie so there's um the main characters are um, Brad, Janet, Dr. Frankenfurter, Columbia, played by Little Nell, Magenta, and uh, Riff Raff. But then there's also a lot of other characters, like mm-hmm. side characters that get introduced. And that's another thing I really love about this movie is how the other characters get introduced. Mm-hmm. Very abrupt, out of nowhere, very attention-grabbing ways. Mm-hmm. So... We don't know about really the monster, the his creation. creation until we actually see it. Because mm-hmm. I mean, you don't really when he says it in the song, you're like, you're doing what? Like yes. what? We, what? And then you see, it, and then the first time we see it, you're like, oh, he's literally. Mm-hmm. And then it's like this extremely right. almost unhealthy looking muscular Who man doesn't have a belly button. Oh, you're right, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, they never gave him a belly button. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just want to 
you know, briefly ask you about the lab scene when they're first up there and, you know, they're standing there half naked Mm -hmm. and their interaction with Frankenfurter, I mean, how does that translate to you? I mean, I always thought it was really just funny watching Mm -hmm. um, these very almost scarily normal characters like of Brad and Janet just the American uh, couple interact with this, per- like with this, they're so calm. Like right. especially Brad, like he's just like, "Hey, how are you?" You know, yeah. put it there. You know, it's and he says Janet's name wrong. Like he just got married and he doesn't know who she is. Yeah. And I just think that it's such a good because it's that's almost the manipulative way of the movie in some way mm-hmm. in that like you kind of think to yourself, why is he so calm? He's so weird like right. about all of this. Like we're thinking that the like the normal characters, mm-hmm. no, quote unquote normal characters are actually weird in that moment because we've yeah. kind of gone to the side of Frankenfurt at that point because we're so invited. And mm-hmm. we're just like, who are these people? Like this is, is this really how you're going to react to all of this? And I just think that, um, again, the performances are great. I could talk about Susan Sarandon in this movie for like ever. Right. I love her in this movie. Um, and... Just like his tendencies, the way that he says things are all like he really like Frankenfurt takes his time Mm -hmm. to really get every word out there and puts something behind it to make sure that, you know, that it moves and that Mm -hmm. we're really listening to it because he says some like just weird things throughout the Mm -hmm. entire movie. But like I can't help but even though that scene is right after an exciting scene and right before the reveal of the creature. I can't really help but still like watch it. Like it's just right. so fun. If well, that answers your question. Yeah, I mean, for me it's more on the side of like showing this over masculine person that is Brad Majors and then showing innocent little Janet who's like falling victim if you will to like Frankenfurter's tendencies because she's almost flirting with him in this scene. Oh, true, yeah. You know, he Asks about tattoos, which we all know were were taboo at the time. Uh And, you know, Brad's all pissed off and, you know, puffs up his chest asking, you know, how dare you say things like that? And Janet's all giggly like, Mm. never. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess in that sense, it's very much like that's kind of where the social commentary Mm -hmm. aspect of it comes in and our, you know, tendencies to just kind of like either jump to conclusions or stick up for the things that we constantly have, you know, just come accustomed to or thinking that these guys are just um, like just perfectly normal. Like that's kind of the representation of us like Mm -hmm. as watching this movie. And uh, but we have to kind of like go along with what's actually happening and that inflicts the change being open and be and listening and actually looking right. and having these experiences um and there's a lot of songs there's like three different songs that happen in this in the lab scene in the lab scene mm-hmm. alone uh you know there's you know I'll I'll make you a man mm-hmm. and then uh, sort of da- well, sort of Damocles comes first. Mm-hmm. Um, song I never personally fully cared for that much. Like I like it. Um, I I just think that the the guy who's singing the voice of uh, what's Rocky? Duh, yes. it's in the fucking title. Um, <laughs> is a, like you can kind of tell at least his is very much pre-recorded. He has some. There's some effect right. to his voice. Um, like, it's not an effect and before we get into that i just want to say like this is the first time obviously that we're seeing rocky and the tank itself 
is a very subtle homage to the LGBTQ community. Really? Which is a very important thing in my mind because you don't really think about it. You know, Frankenfurter's messing with all of these nozzles that will create his man. And then it, you know, zooms out and you see a rainbow tank. Oh, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. But anyway, what I was getting at was um, Peter Hinwood, who played Rocky, isn't actually singing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they had some Australian singer cover over his voice, which I think he's the only one that doesn't sing. But the song itself, I don't think is that important. Yeah. It just seems like a filler to me. Yeah. That's another thing that's kind of interesting about this is that the music is very original. I mean, it's like it's really good, you know, this kind of they read an article that was like calling it kind of like glam rock. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very pleasing to listen to. It's fun. Um, but the lyrics you have to be like really listening to it to like right. kind of be like, what does this mean? Like, I still I don't know what sort of Damocles is about. Like, I honestly don't. Um, and or something like seems somewhat random but actually is like mm-hmm. pushing the story forward like um i don't know i just like the right. li- like i just think it's like yeah. all the songs are very interesting and very um again seemingly like they don't really do anything mm-hmm. but they fit in with this world right and, and i mean i'm gonna say something that's probably a little controversial to some mm-hmm. people but i see rocky as being more of a prop in the film than anything he's very uh, important to the film but as a character he could never stand alone it's just that's one of very true it's one of those things where he causes the movie to move along but isn't as important yeah well i feel like don't you think that like more things happen to him than he like happens to the rest of the movie right like i feel like other characters come to him or like so, like other characters do mm-hmm. something onto him that then pushes the movie forward because i mean like you know, Janet goes to him and toucha toucha. Right. Riff Raff lets him out. And um, but he just relies, his character relies very heavily on other characters interacting with him in order to make his character important. Yeah. I would, I would definitely agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we get my favorite song in the whole movie. I'm a big, uh, this was right around when Bad Out of Hell came out. So. Right. <laughs> Uh, meatloaf just emerges from the fucking freezer mm-hmm. out of nowhere wielding a saxophone um, <laughs> on a motorcycle on a motorcycle so does like did Frankenfurter he froze him just as he is like I just think like if we're thinking about this logistically he froze yes. the motorcycle he froze the saxophone he froze him with his clothes on and his mm-hmm. helmet that means he was kind enough to put the helmet back on when he took his brain yes. to put in uh, Rocky. <laughs> to put yeah. in Rocky. Well, I mean, he was his paper boy, so I just imagine him being like, you're mine now, and putting yeah. him in the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> and then he sings uh, Hot Patootie, Bless My Soul, which is mm-hmm. a fantastic song that I still listen to. Just like I have it, I have it saved on my phone, and I can't help but listen to it. Like it's so much fun, and he's mm-hmm. it's total meatloaf. Of course, meatloaf's in like one scene in this movie, and he just yes. like makes the most of it. And he's just completely out of his mind, riding a motorcycle around, playing a saxophone that just doesn't clearly does not have a mm-hmm. reed in it that he wouldn't play, uh, and just like going all over Little Nell, and just mm-hmm. like. It's, it's Meanwhile, so Frankenfurter is like chasing yeah. the whole situation like he's pissed oh, because yeah. Eddie wasn't supposed to get out and it's just a mess. This scene is a hot mess. Yeah, it really is. This is the like what the fuck scene. Like yes. literally, like all the other scenes are fairly like 
like for at least when like uh, the couple stuff is happening you're like okay i get what's happening Mm -hmm. this scene you're just like it's like overload Mm -hmm. it's just here you go (laughs) like and it's so it's like you know a quarter of the movie is spent in this Mm -hmm. (laughs) in this room and i i can't imagine like if if like, what would you do if you, like, literally, like, were put in this situation? Just if you were, like, Janet or Brad and just, like, put there. Like, what would your reaction be? I don't even know. I don't know what I would be thinking. It's mm-hmm. it's one of those things where you're in this weird house. Someone just stripped you of all of your clothes. They just made a dude in front of you. Uh-huh. And now you're like, oh, here's a guy with half a brain that yeah. just came out of the freezer and is now riding a motorcycle with a saxophone while singing mm-hmm. Hot Patootie. Like, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And like not looking, like not at all looking for the door. Like no. they're very much like, okay, we'll just keep on going, yeah. you know. Then like all these weird random people, we don't even know what they're there for. The like, convention. Well, like like you as like if you were to just get there, like what is this for? Like you're just like okay, but uh, <laughs> I love that it's a convention. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're just there, and they don't seem bothered by it at all. Uh-huh. That all of this is happening. They're just. They're there for the ride. Mm. I don't know. It's just so absurd. I love that it's just a great thing of like, you know, things happen in this movie and you're just kind of expected Mm -hmm. to. I mean, that kind of even adds to the fact that like later on when like, you know, Frankenfurter goes into the bed of both Brad and Janet in two separate scenes, Mm -hmm. you're not really expecting that per se. No. And because, I mean, they film it so well in just this Mm -hmm. one wide shot and like all the silhouettes and you're just like, oh, okay, but it's like, well, why not? And then like, oh my god, you know, yeah. it's like a lot of things in this movie will just happen, and mm. it adds, like I said, adds to the excitement, especially in a right. first time viewing because you don't know what's gonna, what, what what's gonna come next. Like when 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 Doctor Scott shows up, right? That's insane Mm -hmm. like and there's like a story that when he came and whizzed in they didn't have another door for him to come through and that's why he breaks through a wall and it's just this random doctor that Mm -hmm. um (laughs) that brad knew and he was like great scott and just again throws out his hand for him to like like, did you know when you watched this like did you know and like of anything that was going to happen or were you just completely blindsided by everything? I was totally blindsided. But I mean, it's done in a way, like you said, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess like even from a cinematic standpoint, like literally just how they filmed it is extremely compelling. You know, the the bedroom scene, you're just looking at one wide shot, that's it. But then, you know, go back to when they see Eddie, it's all over the place. You know, you're getting a first person perspective. You're getting wide shots. You're getting right there with him. Mm -hmm. It's just done in a way that keeps you guessing even just from visuals. It also feels just overall the movie feels very low budget, which it was. Yes. That adds to the charm of it and that they it definitely feels like they had their hands all over Mm -hmm. and like really tried to make it. um like as as best they can they were just yes and like a lot of handheld stuff like the first person stuff in in a wheelchair yeah it's just so crazy like especially when he's going he's literally going into the to the freezer with Mm -hmm. the pickaxe and like you know meatloaf's backing up and it's totally like this very weird shaky 60s science Mm -hmm. fiction you know horror type way of filming it like a george romero movie or something Mm -hmm. but you're just like I can't stop watching. Right. <laughs> like, I'm just so for it. Um, and this whole, I, I so I, I've been putting it off, but I want to talk about Susan Sarandon because okay. I just, 
I don't know what it is about her performance in this movie. She is phenomenal. I think she is, first of all, hysterical. She's right. so funny. Like my favorite part of the whole movie, just this one little section is when is after I think Touch of Toucha and Brad comes in and Dr. Scott and Frankenfurter and it's like, Brad, Janet, Dr. Scott, Rocky. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they do that four yeah. different times with these cinematic like push-ins and mm-hmm. just like it's so fun. And she plays it so well. I mean, everyone does, but she, I don't know, there's something about her. She gives so like there's a lot of energy in her mm-hmm. performance, especially during Touch of Toucha. She is just going so hard and she sounds great mm-hmm. got a really great voice and is just so lovable and i don't I, I i just love her performance in this movie i adore susan sarandon and mm-hmm. i want to say i give so so many props to her because she was working with pneumonia yeah like, which <laughs> is like you would never know uh-huh. that she was that severely uh-uh. sick during this movie no way and it was like apparently like right when they were filming all the lab scenes too right. so like in like the scenes where she's like most crucial and uh, like giving so much, like mm-hmm. her scene and touch of touch is just like, oh man, now she's like super sick and like, oh no, what are yeah. we gonna do? Especially on a movie like a, that has such a tight schedule mm-hmm. and so low budget, it's like, what are we gonna do? Literally, the biggest like one of the biggest stars of the movie is just completely sick now. Yeah, which just I, it seems a little bit like poor judgment on their part mm-hmm. because they filmed, I believe, the pool scene was one of the first ones, and that's what made her sick. Because the water was just so severely cold Mm -hmm. and this poor girl had to push through. And I had heard of um, Richard O'Brien saying that she was kind of complaining a lot. Like (laughs) he, I guess, was upset with her at some points because they said that she seemed a little whiny about it. All right. Chill out there, Rich. All right. right. She's sick. (laughs) She's still working. God damn it. Um, I want to talk about the Dr. Scott and the Eddie uh, plot line because this is, to me, is a very, uh, again, a path that you wouldn't necessarily think that they were going to take this one random character. Mm -hmm. This character that, you know, was the, you know, was the brain that became Rocky, but wasn't really a character other than that. And you would think that, like, because, I mean, it has that one scene. It's just mm-hmm. done. You're just like, whoa. And then, you know, the, this doctor that they knew comes rushing in. And there's that song, Eddie, which I really, right. really love. Um, but they give us this more more of the story of how, uh, you know, uh, Columbia was in love with him. And everyone else was, you know, he was just this biker kid and this like, you know, this again, no good kid. Yeah. And do you, do you think that this part of it is a little convoluted per se, or does it still add something to it? Cause I have fun with it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, I, I don't necessarily think it's the most thing that adds to the story per se. Cause I think that like Columbia would still get mad at Dr. Mm-hmm. Frankenfurter, like, had we not have known that i personally like it because it's fun but do you think that it could have been taken out or it could have been changed like what do you think of that section see i think this is one of those things that goes back to me saying you have to watch it multiple times to to catch on to what's happening because the first time i watched it i was like what the hell is this uh-huh. what is going on and it does work but in a really weird way mm. because it's one of those situations where Again, Rocky needs other people to associate with him in order to make his character work. And it originally started out with Frankenfurter falling for Meatloaf's character, Eddie, and the two of them having a relationship. And at one point, you hear 
riffraff say that Frankenfurter has a tendency to latch on to people, but then throw them out like they're nothing. And the same situation had happened with um, Columbia with Frankenfurter. He was, you know, they were both groupies, her and Eddie. And I think what happened in, you know, the way that I've interpreted it is he kind of threw the two of them aside. But when they became this couple, he got upset, which is why he had captured Eddie and made him into Rocky. Because he's a very selfish character. Oh, we, yeah. we know this. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that was his way of saying, well, even if I don't want him, you can't have him. Uh-huh. So I'm going to do this and make a version of him that wants me and only me, which obviously doesn't work. But mm. I, I think it, it works in an odd way. That's pretty interesting. Uh, I guess I, I never really thought about it because, I mean, it's just one of those things where, I mean... It's a testament to the movie how well-paced it is Mm -hmm. because there's not really, other than maybe the scenes that flip back to, um, like, the narrator, um, because sometimes those go on for a little bit longer than you expect, but overall, the movie moves pretty well. And in that scene, too, like, the song, Eddie, and the the birthday dinner scene is just so odd and funny Mm -hmm. that you're just into it. And it really moves and it moves you along with it. And it wasn't really something that I fully thought about until recently. And I was just like, they spend a lot of time, like, focus, especially in that scene, focusing on just this guy who's already dead and, mm-hmm. um, like, already had his, quote, unquote, like, effect on the movie. So what are they really trying to do with that? And I kind of thought it was like, okay, just giving more insight to this, the American biker guy mm-hmm. who, like, kind of, you know, was a big popula- uh, part of the population in America at that mm-hmm. time. Um, so I wasn't really sure, but that's it's really interesting. Well, I mean, and I think what also hints at that is the fact that Rocky is so upset by his killing uh-huh. because it is him True. in some ways. And, you know, Frankenfurter just justifies it being like, but it was a mercy killing. Like, uh-huh. he deserved to die. Right. So I, it's just, again, these characters play very heavily into each other. There's this... It's a very complicated, simplistic movie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like the way that... um, I like that. Um, I mean, there's like 80 different things we could talk about about this dinner scene. Just Mm -hmm. how ridiculous and fun it is. Just him slamming the meat down and just using like a turkey cutter. And then like he pulls the tabletop Mm -hmm. and Eddie's just there and... Then he starts singing happy birthday and it's just like, oh my God, it's such an awkward but funny scene, really well made. Because I mean, it's just like, it's just at this table, it's like three Mm -hmm. or four camera setups. It's all, it's really dark because there's Mm -hmm. like, you don't see really any light other than just on. And also I thought it was really funny how it was like, I pictured at this point it was like midnight. Right. And then he's just like, oh, dinner's served. And they were just like, okay, I guess we're eating, you know. Um, It just takes like this awkward dinner, you know, vibe to like mm-hmm. a whole um other level and well let us not forget what led up to this which is just the most absurd situation where like frankenfurter sends brad and janet off to their separate rooms and the two of them seemingly don't know that he is you know playing as each other's like um significant others uh-huh. And just the way that they go about that film, for uh, that part of the film, first of all, is like, they just rip off a wig and they're like, what? Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> yeah, li- literally. <laughs> but I mean, all of that, you know, 
Janet having sex with Frankenfurter and Brad having sex with Frankenfurter and both of them finding out about it leads to this very awkward scene. Uh-huh. And yeah. I, it's it's so strange the way that everything builds up to this dinner scene because at this point everything's gone to absolute shit oh yeah you know eddie's dead and they like try and go to bed like how could you go to bed after that right (laughs) and they're they're trying to go to bed they both cheated on each other and they were supposed to be saving themselves which is you know frankenfurter being like the influence on them of being like forget you know saving yourself forget um basically being a virgin you're supposed to explore your sexuality and now they've they've both been deflowered at this point if you will and (laughs) um they're at dinner and it's like everything that they were supposed to be about is no longer there yeah and they're just sort of trying to act normal in the situation meanwhile it's all these snarky looks and everything and then, like, even Rocky trying to interact with Janet during this scene and Frankenfurter takes the meat cutter and just, like, looks at him with it. <laughs> great. Like, there's a mm-hmm. lot, like, very minimal dialogue, right. too, done to great comedic effect. Um, that scene, the the scenes in the bedroom along with the, the ending are um, the two scenes that kind of kind of like to speak about the message to the movie for me mm-hmm. um to jump ahead a little bit after they've been um they've all been medusified and they're mm-hmm. like statues another really great great scene when they're all they're doing rose tints my world and dancing around mm-hmm. on the uh on the stage you know frankenfurter's running around trying to put the show together and he's got like the cream on his face mm-hmm. and his hairs and curlers and he's he's kind of running around and then when they get into rose tints my world it's like now I feel like these characters are fully to the point where they were like completely different than what they were when they started. Right. They've, you know, they, they get frozen one way and they get unfrozen mm-hmm. a completely different way. And the fact that they're all the, this kind of scene is almost like this. And maybe this is <laughs> maybe reading a little too into it, maybe not, but like this is kind of like the rebirth of them in some way and that they come there they're finally coming they almost feel like it takes them a second to get comfortable in the situation mm-hmm. that they are but then as soon as like you know frankenfurter comes out and they all find themselves in the pool then they can finally just they're like they're all like all over each other well, it's and a very odd orgy scene but... that's very odd yeah <laughs> but like i actually one of the notes i wrote down was um Love that pool because <laughs> it's a nice pool. It's um, a very nice pool. But uh, I mean, at this point, we see Frank's ultimate ability to just manipulate everyone around him. And when they are dancing on stage, it's sort of all of their individual testaments to how he's screwed them over in some way and how they've changed because of it. Uh huh. Do you think that that kind of. Um, do you think that that's something about this movie that really works or do you think it's one of the more manipulative kind of thing where it's like he's really a shitty person and like kind of like manipulated them so much and had and got them to this point where the point that they are now they're more able to think about themselves and kind of rediscovered but it's like an end does the end justify the means kind of thing I think it's a little bit of both mm-hmm. I mean you see Frankenfurter I mean it's just such a lovable character that Tim Curry plays that you can't mm-hmm. help but like him regardless of what he does. It's like an anti-hero. 
Right. Even if he is as bitter as he is. Yeah. I mean, even when he's like setting up the stage, it's very subtle, but he walks past Janet and like sticks his tongue out because he's just that petty. Yeah. (laughs) But I think the scene itself works. It's kind of paying homage to really everything that I've said is like they're going through changes constantly in this film. And this is finally like the most climactic portion of the movie where you see everything that makes you like what the hell's happening in this movie has come to fruition and you're like oh this is the outcome of it this yeah. is what we've been working up for and the fact that they even sing a song like called like all about pleasure mm-hmm. and it may i mean i'm sure it's like someone could see it and just be like it's so on the nose but like it's really the central message of right. the movie that i've kind of taken away and that like I mean, even after the point like that we find out that Riff Raff and Magenta are aliens mm-hmm. and the fact that their brother and sister is really weird. Um, They've been very touchy throughout oh, the entire film. Yes, they have. <laughs> Literally right when they like get like right when they come on screen and, mm-hmm. you know, they, you know, shoot Frankenfurter and then the house just like lifts up to go to planet right. transvestite or what, um, what is it? Transylvania? I think it's. I it's, thought he said I thought it was planet transvestite, but he says he's. A transsexual trans from sweet transvestite from, from transsexual Transylvania. That's right. Yeah, it's hard to say. Yes. <laughs> um, but like, and then like you know, Brad and Janet just kind of just kind of walk off. And I was thinking that the the fact that they shoot Frankenfurter and kind of destroy this character, this almost like beautiful character that we've come to, like we said, we've gotten accustomed to, and like the fact that even though through his means of manipulation and inflicting change and find having brad and janet discover themselves is killed it kind of is like if we look at the history this like this very long period of time of just shutting out the lgbtq mm-hmm. community and change and something that was different than the uh the stigmatism that was put on society at that time because they shoot him many times um, right and and it does kind of like hit you. You're like, no, because I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, Tim Curry just so likable, right? Um, I just I think that that was kind of the point. And there is some form of social commentary in this movie, mm-hmm. if, like if be it you know subtle or not. Um, and again, I'm like super happy that you are here for this because you know this movie better than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was just kind of you know like we said, it was just kind of the mentality at that point of just um, you know not knowing, like just being very mm-hmm. ignorant of you know the really the limits of sexuality or the parameters and the um you know what was considered normal and uh and i think like when after the house lifts up and brad and janet just kind of walk away from the situation that was kind of the idea that i was thinking the the whole thing is like this one night this one experience it only takes Mm -hmm. like one big experience that you can have to really fully discover yourself right and that like resonates, I think, with like a lot of people because you get like that like how most change mm-hmm. happens or most you know it's a lot it's like really a story of self discovery, right? And I think that's something that, in some ways, everyone can you know relate to, regardless of the situation, is being able to accept yourself for who you really are, and that's kind of like the regardless of any of the weird things that are happening in the ending scenes. That's sort of the final message is like be unapologetically you regardless of what other people have to say about it. Yeah. And like Frankenfurter is obviously like the poster child of that and that he 
yeah, never apologized, never cared what mm. others thought. I mean, it was always what he thought. And he if he thought about something, he was going to do it and just presented himself in mm. that manner. And he was totally in control. Right. Uh, so I had a couple questions um, okay. that I wanted to uh, add uh, to the end is why do you think for a, for audiences in general, like why do you think that this movie, because one thing I love about this movie is there's like there's a couple of things I really, the big ideas I really love about this movie. And one of them is that this movie was made on such a small budget mm-hmm. with very like small crew, an unknown story, an unknown musical that didn't do well at all now has become the longest running uh, theatrical release film in history, has constant, you know, it's like is the is the cult classic, mm-hmm. has um, conventions all about the movie, mm-hmm. has had, you know, countless musical adaptations. It's in pop culture. There was a whole section on, you know, in certain shows like Glee where they talk about it and The Simpsons and like all of these like other, it's a huge moment in pop culture. Why mm-hmm. do you think this movie, you know, has the legacy that it does and continues on and will continue to resonate with audience and be a part of people's lives. I mean, I've said it before. I just think it's so transcendent of of its time, you know, because even now we're establishing the LGBTQ community as being a norm. But I think it's something that either people who have openly come out or people who are thinking about it or even people that aren't aware of their own sexuality can relate to it in some way Mm -hmm. it it makes them feel like they're understood somehow and i think there's always going to be that group of people that can identify with it in that way and even if you you know don't identify in the lgbtq community you're still there for the music which is you know something that stands alone where it's not dated in the way that you know many other older musicals are it's just something that I think everyone can find their niche in it mm. and enjoy it for a certain aspect. I think word of mouth too, and that it, ha- it has this big mm-hmm. reputation, and it becomes one of those things where you know a lot of parents now were at the right age when this movie came out, mm-hmm. and it continues to be passed down um, to their children or to like their friends, and because it's so specific and so special in that way. It's one that you just have to really experience for yourself. I mean, the movie right. is really uh, and like an experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you said, it's so prevalent in pop culture. I mean, you know, in adult animation, you know, you see it there. I know I've seen it in um, like that 70s show. It's been on that before. And there's been homage to it in movies aside from the actual movie itself. And right. it's just it's very prevalent and still highly, you know, commemorated for what it was Mm -hmm. in a lot of different things so the final question that i have is one that i the one that i guess we've been trying to answer this whole time and that we have gotten to the bottom of it but if as as big of a movie fan as you are why is this movie what is it about this movie that adds to your love of movies that keeps you continuing to watch movies or go to the movies what is it about this movie that is so special and adds to your love of the medium I just think I've always liked theater for what it was. I'm, you know, I have a a soft spot in my heart for musicals as it is, but I'm very much like I need that 
extra something that makes it different. Like I'm a fan of Cats and Cats is not your, you know, traditional kind of musical. Mm-hmm. And I think this is just something that I can, you know, pop into my DVD player on like a Tuesday night and just be like, okay, I'm going to watch Rocky Horror because it just is very much like it fits my personality. I see some of myself in this movie. I see, you know, the parts of me that maybe aren't the most normal. And I just feel like I can relate to it in some way. Uh You know, I, I don't get that out of a lot of movies, but I definitely get that from this movie where like it brings me happiness like if i'm in a bad mood and i watch rocky horror like you can't be in a bad mood when no, you're watching you really rocky horror no. so i just you know it's one of those movies that really resonates with me and i think i actively seek out things that are like it because of that that's a really good answer um i'm i'm kind of the same way in that i mean i, mean, I grew up on musicals been mm-hmm. a big fan of musicals my entire life and now i've said the past few years the musicals have been kind of in shambles in a way um, recently, especially like Broadway. They've turned it into this big um, spectacle in that it's like, what movie can we adapt to stage? Or mm-hmm. let's do a jukebox musical where everyone recognizes it. We don't have a lot of musicals like mm-hmm. Rocky Horror a lot really much anymore because, you know, it's like it's, it's fear that it won't resonate. And right. there is something about this movie that you hear the music and you're like, this is very familiar to me mm-hmm. in that, you know, you know, we all have grandparents or parents who grew up with, you know, in the rock and roll era. And this mm-hmm. has very, like, essence of very early rock and roll, but also this kind of new wave of, you know, of, you know, hard rock that came in the mm-hmm. 70s and the 80s. Um, and it's recognizable. Maybe you don't know the songs off the bat, but, like, it gets this feel. And the fact that it's so original and so odd, you can't help but go back to it. Right. Like like we said before, it's just it's a complete testament to the fact that we as a people are so quick to judge a movie. We have to really let it sit and simmer and really think about it and go for multiple viewings. Like like I said, I've only seen this movie like five times. There's so many things that I don't I still don't realize. Mm-hmm. Um and it makes it such a fun experience. The fact that they made something for so little and like with such creativity and originality and it became one of the biggest movies in history Mm -hmm. because of word of mouth because of the midnight screens because of what it had to say and because of the you know homage that they're paying to a very specific set of movies a very Mm -hmm. specific genre that people saw and recognized and that it wasn't something that was just weird for the sake of weird but it was weird to grab your attention but also realize you may not have seen this particular thing before but you have right you you can recognize the themes in it and it's personal like it's a very intimate personal movie when you Mm -hmm. really think about it. it's not afraid to go to the places it does and the fact that it's become like an event is Mm -hmm. just like a great achievement and one that you can watch with your friends, you can watch alone, you can watch it with a theater full of people, and you get a different experience every single time. Right. Uh, do you have any final thoughts? Um, I mean, really just, it's like the old saying of don't judge a book by its cover. Uh-huh. Even if a movie seems odd and weird and different, I think this is like a perfect ex- example of just saying like, 
give it a try because like I said in the beginning, I grew up not knowing this movie, but thinking, oh, this is weird. It's not for me. And like now, you know, me and our good friend Jenna McIntosh, shout out to Jenna. Shout out to Jenna. <laughs> and I, like the two of us joke, we call it the Holy Bible because it's just so weird and different in the way that you wouldn't think you'd like it, but you end up liking it. And I think that can be settled up about a lot of different movies. So again, just let's not judge movies by mm-hmm. what they seem to present. Just give them a chance. Couldn't agree more. Thank you, Lexi. Yeah, thank you. That does it for this episode of the Film Podcast. Big thanks to the wonderful Lexi Cutmore for coming on again. This podcast was produced by Sullivan Harris, who also did the artwork that you see on every episode. If you want more updates from us, please go follow our social media on Facebook, Frankly I Love Movies, and Twitter at Frankly underscore podcast. And if you'd like, go follow me, Josh Wall, on Instagram at JoshFellJosh21 for more fun updates on what's going on in my life. And as always, tune in in two weeks for another episode talking about a special movie with a special guest. Until then, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Movies.